my son Tim was able to go with me. Of all things, we ended up in upstate New York, and uh, it's not where you want to be in February. <clears throat> it was cold. So first night was minus nine. <laughs> it got better, so, but I like to start there. <laughs> I like to say, I'm a Florida boy, man. I was just fish out of water. But uh, for those of you who are guests last week or this week, introduce myself as well. I'm Tim, one of the pastor elders here, and we are so glad that you are here with us. We love God's Word, and uh, in a moment, we will be preaching from 2 Samuel 16 and 17. You can be turning there. Before we get to that, um, though, is want to give you a little bit of an update in that a uh, few weeks back, well, quite a few weeks back, early January, uh, we announced some changes to our elder team and that we would be kind of circling back around and giving you an update. And so I need to do that. Um, we've been discussing and uh, some of you have chimed in. Thank you for your input. Um, but as an elder team, we're, we're ready to bring to you some possibilities um, for, as far as what we're thinking um, in regards to elders here at Trinity and how we're, we'd like to move forward. We would like to add two men. Um, that's our desire. We'll see what the Lord's will is. Um, but we would like to take our team uh, to six. We've, we've operated as a team of five for many, many years, but um, we would really, uh, we'd like to go to six. Um, and I'll explain why in a moment, but uh, because I've got you kind of in pause and in suspense, I realize. So um, we're, we, uh, we'd like to bring before you Austin Williams, Bobby Hamlet, all right, are the two men that we are looking at, um, that we want you to look at. You can look at them, all right, there they are. Um, they have agreed to submit themselves to this process, submit themselves to you, the church, for your affirmation. Uh, and if you're new here at Trinity, um, a little bit about that, how that works. But we're not a church that um, quote-unquote votes. We're a church that does an affirmation, and that's for the members of the church to uh, affirm yes or no, but, but, but not simply like a vote, thumbs up, thumbs down, but, but a yes and here's why, or a no and here's why. And so we encourage you, you can start doing that. Please don't do it while I'm preaching, but as soon as I'm done, you can email us, you can put it on paper, um, hand it to, to myself or one of the other elders, um, but we would like the membership to chime in, okay? And when we do that, again, this is more for folks that are new. Um, the, the church membership knows this. We're, we're looking for you to wrestle with Scripture when we say that. And in particular, um, you can be looking in Titus and in, in Timothy um, and, and wrestle there with Scripture. And uh, so our goal is to move from a team of five to a team of six. And with that, we would like to create like a, a rotation because what we're finding over the years is the need in particular for our non-vocational elders, um, which we hope to have four. We just need to rotate regularly. And so where we would operate really like a team of five, there would always be one guy off. And so probably like a six-month stint, um, one guy would be off, we'd be, have the other five, then that guy would come on and someone would come off for six months. So that there should be a regular routine, we just need... Um, Bigger and, uh, yeah, regular breaks is what we're trying to create there. So if you've got any thoughts on that, please feel free. But I also just want to thank uh, not only 
Bobby and Austin. But I want to thank Callie. And Katie is not able to be here this morning, um, but Katie as well, okay? Because though um, we believe in um, men uh, as far as pastor elders go, we also know that their wives serve heroically um, as they support their husband. They are huge servants in the process. And so thank you, ladies, as well. So I want to encourage you, church, let's get to it. Um, give us your affirmation, your non-affirmation. You have about a month. I feel like that's probably plenty of time. You know, most of you are going to wait till like the last three days anyways. So if we said two months, you'd wait till the last three. Okay, so you have about a month. Um, and uh, March 12th is kind of what we're saying is, is the deadline. And then we hope to make an announcement a week or two after that as far as where things land and our way forward, okay? So if you would be praying about that as well, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal who will be pastor elder here at Trinity, and so it should be a matter of prayer for all of us. Okay, so with that, who will you serve? That's the title this morning. This is a section of Samuel that's really walking out. We preached many weeks ago just David's sin, and then, and then what will the consequences be of David's sin? This morning, we're into the consequences, okay? So that's what we're walking out. That's what this section is, and we're here uh, to see what David's walking out, what the people of God are walking out, to then instruct us to help us to pursue godliness. The kingdom here is divided and we'll see there's just this aspect throughout the two chapters. Whose side are you on? Who will you serve? Which king, which team do you want to be on? Uh, team David or his son, Team Absalom? Or we'll find out there's a few other teams that maybe don't jump right off the page. In these two chapters, um, people are choosing sides. Are you with the repentant King David? Or do you want to go with the power grab anarchy of David's son, Absalom? And that's really all of life. That's not just something that we read about a couple thousand years ago, like it's some distant thing. That's our living rooms. That's our hearts. Who will you serve? You know the passage well from Joshua as he's, he's asking the people of God and he's replying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Maybe it's on your refrigerator. And all of Israel agreed. And yet it didn't take long for them to forget the Lord. Have you found that to be true, living in the kingdom of God, that, that, that decision to serve the Lord isn't a one and done thing? It's an ongoing thing. It's a daily thing. Who will Tim serve? Who will I serve this life? Who will I serve this week? Who will I serve this day? Who will I serve this moment? Because I like to be king. It's not a one and done thing. It's a moment by moment decision. Because living in this world, we're bombarded with alternative kings to serve Kings of wealth and pleasure and status and career and relationship and, and, and. So I don't, it doesn't matter how long you've been serving the Lord. 
doesn't matter how long you may have been here at Trinity. Maybe you hold a leadership position in church. doesn't matter. doesn't matter how many times you've read through God's word. doesn't matter. Today is a fresh opportunity for every one of us in the room. Choose this day who you will serve. Let's pause and pray and we'll dive into our text. God, I ask you, Lord, draw our hearts to you. Lord, may we just unashamedly, without reserve, Lord, run, declare, I serve the living God, the King of all kings. Lord, help us to recognize humbly the temptations that lay before us. Lord, help us to not just completely dismiss the thought that I'm tempted to run to other kings, to serve other kingdoms. Lord, I pray that each one of us would be sobered as we read through this list of names of people who are picking sides. And Lord, sadly, you're, you're, you're really not even on anybody's mind. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this kind of these two chapters kind of lay out almost like a movie, uh, an introduction to the characters. So I just made each point Act, act one. And act one is Ziba's deception. Okay? So <clears throat> you, you might remember Ziba, or perhaps you've forgotten. He was back there in chapter nine. Ziba is the guy that King David assigns. Remember Mephibosheth and all of that? Mephibosheth is the crippled grandson of Saul. He's the son of Jonathan. And after Saul dies... Uh, David, David asks, is there, is there anybody in Saul's family I, I want to I take care of? I want to bless them. And so, um, well, just this crippled son of Jonathan. Um, and so it's a beautiful picture of the gospel, of how God welcomes us in, right? The king says, you, you're going to eat at my table. And Mephibosheth is just, what? Now, I'm, I'm on the enemy. I'm, the, I'm in the enemy's family. Um, I'm on Saul's team, if you will, and Jonathan, just in his grace and his mercy, just brings him in, and that's Mephibosheth, but who's Ziba? Well, he's the guy who's in charge of making sure that Mephibosheth is taken care of, and again, that's back in chapter 9. He's the guy, he's the, um, what do you call it, the, the, the executor of the inheritance. He's the one that's got to make sure that this guy, Mephibosheth, um, is all good to go and taken care of. Well, that's kind of back there. Before we read our text this morning, which is right here, let's jump forward a little bit too because you kind of need to know a little bit more about Zeba and what's coming um, or why I would say it's Zeba's deception. Because in chapter 19 that we see Zeba is a deceiver. He's dishonest. He's disloyal to David. He's saying things about Mephibosheth. Well, Mephibosheth isn't able to be there to defend himself. He's, he's actually lying about Mephibosheth. Um, Ziba is, well, he's slandering. He's gossiping. This guy he's supposed to be taking care of. And we might ask the question, why is he doing that? Well, as with much slander, or maybe most slander and gossip, something is to be gained, Right? 
I've seen some who would slander in an effort to gain a position. Let me, let me speak negatively about this person or that issue or this thing or that thing to and then, you know, present myself without presenting myself. Maybe there's something to be gained as far as a leadership role in the church. Maybe some slander comes, certainly, it comes out of a sense of pride and the desire. I want to be thought well of. And so I'm going to slander this person. So you think highly of me. Maybe you think highly of my wisdom or my, my, my thoughts, my position. I'm, I'm better than that guy. Slander to gain. In this case, Ziba slants, he taints the story to manipulate the king, King David, to then get what he wants from him. Let's read. We're in chapter 16, verse 1. When David had passed a little beyond the summit, Ziba the servant of Mephibosheth met him with a couple of donkeys saddled, bearing 200 loaves of bread, 100 bunches of raisins, 100 of summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, Why have you brought these? Ziba answered, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, um, the bread and the summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. Like, I'm bringing all these gifts for you and your people, king. And the king said, where is your master's son? Ziba said to the king. Behold, he remains in Jerusalem, for he said, today the house of Israel, he's talking about Mephibosheth, will give me back the kingdom of my father. Then the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. So he's manipulated the king with his lies. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord and king. So, so Ziba comes appearing to be on the side of the king. Whose, whose side will you serve? Who, who will you choose? Oh, King David, I, I choose you. I'm here to serve you. I'm with you. But this guy, Mephibosheth? He's turned against you. He's not with you. Now, here's the thing. We all do this. We can even be found serving in the church, serving in the kingdom of God, looking good. And that's why it's deceptive, right? It's deceptive because Ziba looks good. He looks like he's honoring the king. We look the part, and then that gives voice. It gives, it gives voice to an opportunity. Let me tell you this little nugget. Let me give you this little juicy morsel of info to win you over. Whose side is Ziba on? Well, he's on his own side. He's looking out for himself here. And that's what gossip and slander does. It seeks its own gain. I'll drop a little info past you to win you to my side because I want your favor. Here, Ziba is deceiving David and he poisons the king's view of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth isn't even around to defend himself. We think of gossip perhaps as some little minor thing, some little sin, uh, Friends, run from this sin, all of us. It's no harmless little sin. It is deadly and deceptive, not only to the person that we're gossiping about, but to ourselves and to the community. 
And so we buy into that lie. You, you, you need to hear this little bit of information for some reason. I need to let you know of this. Can I encourage us? Reject the slander that comes out of our own mouths and reject the slander that lands in our ears. Whose side is Ziba on? Who is his slandering serving the most? Oh, he's on Ziba's side. <laughs> he is on his own side. He knows he will never be king. But in the uncertain days of the kingdom, it's splitting, it's dividing. It's a grab. Let me just get what I can get while I can get it. Act number two, Shammai's disdain. And this is how we're going to pro progress through. Just a bunch of names and how they're choosing. Shammai's disdain. Now, Shammai seems to be tainted by someone else's rumors and gossip. It's made him bitter and angry. And so let's walk through these verses, and I'll comment along the way. We're going to read quite a bit, so please hang with me. If you don't have your Bibles, it's on the screen. If you do, please read along there in your, in your Bible. Verse 5, when King David came to Bahurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shammai, the son of Gera. And as he came out, he cursed continually, and he threw stones at David. And all the servants of King David, and all the people, and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shammai said as he cursed, get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. Oh, wow. Uh, this guy's quite the bitter, angry, something has tainted Shammai. He's cursing, he's throwing stones, he's vile. Whose side is Shammai on? Well, the answer to that is anybody's but David's. He'll take anybody's side. He is bitter to the core. Verse 8, the Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. So what he's saying is the Lord, the Lord what's happening to you right now, this divided kingdom, is the Lord's avenging for the death of Saul. Whose side is he on? He's on the side of death. He's on the side of the dead king. He's on the side, well, he's living in the past. He's on the side of the king who is gone and is dead. And, and we need to bring this home into our family rooms. This is this is worldliness. You, you may be here this morning and you're on the side of the defeated king. That king is already dead. You are a new man, a new woman in Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. You are a new believer in Christ and yet is there anything in Shammai that you identify with? We just want to go back to that dead king. I want to serve, I want to serve what is dead. Now, I'm not sure what this guy's been told that has, has him so tainted and so vile. But the things that he's saying don't match with the things that we know to be true about David. How he navigated his days under Saul. David, David was not bloodthirsty. 
You can say a lot of things, but you couldn't say he was bloodthirsty. As a matter of fact, those who were bloodthirsty towards Saul, David actually punished them. He was anything but bloodthirsty. He was beyond patient. He was actually um, just full of mercy, the opposite of what you would say is bloodthirsty. Well, one of David's men has heard enough. All right, his name's Abishai. We read about him in the next verse. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. Abishai. <laughs> All righty. Uh, Abishai leaves no doubt <laughs> whose side he's on. <laughs> he's with King David. Let's pick up in verse number 10. But the king said, what do I have to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? If he's cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more um, now may this Benjamite leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. Well, that's quite a response. David is saying, leave him be. Who am I to stop him if he's acting on behalf of the Lord? And then he says, in essence, I have bigger fish to fry. This guy's cursing me, but my son wants to end my life, is what he's saying there. This guy's just kicking up dust. Leave him alone. Verse 12, it may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. Maybe, maybe God will look at this. Maybe God will repay me with good. And so it continues, verse 13. So David and his men went on the road while Shammai went along on the hillside opposite him and cursed and as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary. I find that amusing. They're exhausted <laughs> at the Jordan and there he refreshed himself. I bet they were weary. Whose side is Ziba on? He's on his own side. Whose side is Shammai on? He's on the side of the dead and defeated King Saul. Act 3, Ahithophel. Ahithophel's desertion. Ahithophel, what you need to know about him before we read, he was once David's counselor. Or we could say he was once on the side of the King David. Ahithophel, he's, he's, he's not his counselor anymore. He is serving Absalom to the extreme. Take the kingdom by force is kind of what his counsel is going to be. There's going to be two parts to his counsel. The first part is heated and it's vile. And I'll just say it's PG-13. It's not good. The second part is not heated. Someone else will, will hear about um, comes into play. We're actually going to jump over a section of scripture here about Hushai. We're going to come back to him because he's got a longer section in a moment. So we're in verse 20 of chapter 16. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, give your counsel. What shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, go to your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father in the hands of all who are with you, uh, with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof. And Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now in those days, the council 
that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed by both David and by Absalom. So he tells Absalom, go and take the king's concubines. And again, that's the PG-13 version. He is to take them as if they were his. It is a statement in the kingdom. What belongs to the king, I take as if they were mine. I'm the king. Follow me. It also says that we have gone to a place of no return. There can be no reconciliation at this point. Now what's interesting is that Ahithophel has this verse 23 word of God reputation. He's a highly esteemed counselor. Um, That's what makes his counsel so damaging and disgusting. He was trusted to counsel on behalf of the Lord. But he's not done. Chapter 17, verse 1. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. And I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic. And all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king, and I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man, and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. I will kill the king. I'll bring you back all his peoples. Whose side is Ahithophel on? He is on the side of Absalom. Well, let's move to Act 4, Hushai. It's Hushai's double agency. Hushai is a double agent. Verse number 15. Now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to, to, to Jerusalem. I'm sorry, I'm back in chapter 16, verse 15. We're introduced to him, and then we get the Ahithophel, and then we come back to Hushai. So I'm just trying to tie those together. Thanks for hanging with me. Chapter 16, verse 15. Now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem and Hithophel with him. And when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king. Long live the king. And Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Wait, he's, he's saying, you're, What about your loyalty to your friend? King David is your friend. Why did you not go out with your friend? What are you doing here in front of me? Long live the king. <laughs> and Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be. What is he saying? I'm with you, Absalom. And with him I will remain. And again, whom should I serve? Should it not be his son? That's him. As I have served your father, so I will serve you. So the initial introduction to Hushai leaves us thinking, oh, he's, he's with Absalom, right? Oh, he's a double agent. Verse 5, chapter 17. Then Absalom said, call Hushai, the archite, also, and let us hear what he has to say. All right? So he's won the king over. Well, the not yet king. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom said to him, this has, uh, uh, Thus has Ahithophel spoken. So shall we do, as he says. If not, you speak. 
Then Hushai said to Absalom, this time, the counsel that Ahithophel has given is not good. All right? So, ooh, why is he saying that? Hushai said, you know that your father and his men are mighty men and that they are enraged like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. Besides, your father is expert in war. He will not spend the night with the people. Behold, even now he has hidden himself in one of the pits or in some other place. And as soon as some of the people fall at the first attack, whoever hears it will say, There has been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. Then even the valiant men, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will utterly melt with fear. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man, and that those who are with him are valiant men. But my counsel is that all Israel be gathered to you. He's going to start boosting up Absalom. He's going to give him some reasons for pride. Be gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba and as the sand by the sea for the multitude, and that you go to battle in person. So we shall come upon him in some place where he is to be found, and we shall see light upon him as the dew falls on the ground, and of him and all the men with him, not one will be left if he withdraws into a city. Then all Israel will bring ropes to that city, and we shall drag it into the valley until not even a pebble is to be found there. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel. Ahithophel actually has the better plan on how to kill the king. For the Lord has ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel. So that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. Hushai is saying, hey, why not make yourself the hero of the story? Why don't you go be the one to defeat the king? Why don't you be that guy? And he's appealing to Absalom's pride and it works. This leads us to Act 5. The Lord's dominion. The Lord isn't really named much. He's more kind of in passing in these verses. But this is the Lord's dominion. Verse 15. Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, thus and so did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so have I counseled. Now therefore, this is Hushai, Send quickly, tell David, do not stay tonight at the fords of the wilderness, but by all means pass over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Like this just reads like a movie. That's why we're in Act 5. Quick, get word to him. Picking back up. Now Jonathan and Himaz were waiting at En-Rogel. A female servant was to go and tell them, and they were to go and tell King David, for they were not to be seen entering the city, but a young man saw them and told Absalom. So both of them went away quickly and came to the house of a man at Berhurim who had a well in his courtyard, and they went down into it. Is this not a movie? All right, they're going to hide in the well. And the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and scattered grain on it, and nothing was known of it. When Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, Where are Himaz and Jonathan? And the woman said to them, They've gone over the brook of water. And when they had sought and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. After they had gone, the men came up out of the well. What was that like? <laughs> Shh. <laughs> and went and told King David. 
They said to David, arise and go quickly over the water. For thus and so has Ahithophel counseled against you. Then David arose and all the people who were with him and they crossed the Jordan by daybreak. Not one was left who had not crossed the Jordan. When Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey, went off home to his own city. He set his house in order and hanged himself. He died, was buried in the tomb of his father. Then David came to Mahan and Absalom crossed the Jordan with all the men of Israel give you a summary of act five israeli israel (laughs) israeli israel is seemingly hopelessly sinful what is to be the rescue of this people and yet the lord is sovereignly orchestrating their salvation over their sin. Who's the king in Israel? That's what we've been asking throughout this series. Who's the king? Is it King Saul? Is it King David? Is it going to be Absalom? God is the king over Israel. God is the one who will orchestrate his plan that through the seed of David, Through the line of David, out of the stump of Jesse, there will be a shoot. And that shoot will be Jesus. And so as we read these things and we see man's schemes and man's plans, and I'm going to do this, and this is how we're going to take out the king, and I'm going to live for my own, right? I choose my own side. And all these different sinful responses and replies, and it seems as if God's not even on the page. Nobody's referring to the Lord here. The only time he gets mentioned is when he gets mentioned that Ahithophel's counsel is esteemed like the word of God. Nobody's talking about God. Nobody's looking to God. But what we need to see here, it's God's dominion. He's the one that's ruling and reigning and orchestrating the salvation, the redemption of a sinful people who don't deserve that salvation. There's another king in Israel. The Lord is king. He's sovereign over his people. He's working out his good and wise and gracious kingly plan for a sinful people. Friends, Trinity, we are that people. We are that people. How is it that you come into this place this morning to worship the Lord? How is it that you find yourself, even with the question if you're answering, oh, I serve the Lord, how is that? That's because you live in the domain of the king of all kings. That says more about him than it says about you. That says more about his activity than your activity. That says more about his gracious kindness, loving kindness, his faithfulness, than it says anything about our faithfulness. In loving kindness. We're the ones that have sinned against the Father. What Absalom's doing, he's going to sin against his Father. He's going to sin on the rooftops. He's going to absolutely declare to all the people his absolute rejection of his Father, the King. That's us in our sinfulness. We reject the Father. We reject his kingship in our lives. Our sin is the power grab 
for that which doesn't belong to us. The details that are given to us in two chapters read like that movie. Man is scheming. Man is scheming. Giving and receiving counsel. Men are making things happen. How can we get the throne? How do we make the power grab? They want the control. And the council comes. Rape and plunder and kill the king. And the question that just keeps resurfacing over these two chapters. Who will you serve? Who will you serve? Whose kingdom will stand? Because the kingdoms of men, they will come and go. David will soon be buried. Absalom as well. But the kingdom of God. Church, we serve the sovereign king. No different than in the days of Israel. It's the Lord's domain. And God is to be seen in the background of these chapters. Never being mentioned is like an irony. And yet he's doing all the working out of his plan. He's not going to give them what they deserve. He's going to give them what he graciously grants to them. This is no Joshua moment in a a good light, right? Like I pointed to Joshua earlier in a good light at first, and then they turned against the Lord. But this is no, all the people said, we will serve the Lord. It's political. It's family. It's selfish. It's slander and gossip. It's manipulation. Ultimately, it's What's in my best interest? That's whose side I'm on. And Psalms 2 tells us, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. Who He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Who will rule in Israel? It's the question on the page. Who's going who's gonna to be king? Who will rule in our country? Who will rule in our living rooms, in our hearts? Who, who will rule? That's the question. In the middle of all the chaos, in all the silence, in that no one is seeking the Lord, let's get his counsel, and let's get his counsel, and his counsel is better than that counsel. Nowhere do we read, and the people fasted and prayed and sought the Lord for wisdom. It's not on the page. And what do we do with all the mass confusion that's going on in the text? And what do we do with all the mass confusion going on in our days? All the political and social and everything else, all the unrest. I want to say again, I believe in a monarchy. I believe in a monarchy. There was a king in Israel, and there is a king of my heart. If you are a follower of Christ, well, then you believe in a monarchy. There's a king in your heart. Amazing here. The Lord, you, you you would almost expect, you'd turn the page, maybe in the middle of chapter 17, and it would say, and the Lord washed his hands of these people. 
And he said, enough with you. And I'm done. The men barely escaped to then go and warn David. How did, how did that happen? Like it's, it's, it feels like Hollywood. Like I'm just reading going, how did, wait, huh? She's going to cover that with a blanket, put some weed on? Okay, yeah. You got to imagine them in this well, just kind of holding themselves against the walls. <laughs> if the Lord wants to protect David, he's going to protect David. And he will do so through the actions of man. People struggle with God's sovereign, man's responsible. God is good, wise, sovereign. God is always active in the lives of his people. You might be finding yourself on the page in the sense of, and God's not named anywhere. Where are you, God? Have you ever had that question? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever wondered about your own life? Have you ever thought, you know, there's just nothing really kind of dynamic about me and God working in me? Where is God? Well, he's at work. He's at work. How he's going to work out the mess of our day. Don't know. They didn't know how he's going to work it out here either. We'll see what the Lord will do. And the king came. The king. The king came. He came born of a virgin lived a perfect life, went to the cross, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave, ascended to the Father. Pentecost happens. The church is being birthed. Peter, the guy, the, the guy who's always getting it wrong. The guy that I love the most on the team of disciples that makes me go, oh, thank you. There's a guy like Peter. He reminds me of me. If the worship team would join me. Well, that, that man, that, that disciple, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, the people are being accused of being drunk and whatnot. He gets up and he preaches. And he says this. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. What is that? That's, that's oh, that's the Lord's dominion. We live in his kingdom. He, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, that is to say, God is sovereign over his very death. It was not an accident that Jesus died. It was not simply because sinful man crucified him. It was ultimately according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. There's the sovereignty. Here's man's responsibility. He next says, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Well, God's still sovereign. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. 
for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, praise the Lord, or let your Holy One see corruption. Thank God. You have made known to me the path of life. Perhaps that's you this morning. You could join with David. You have made known to me the path of life. He's quoting Psalms, David here. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And he says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. In other words, Jesus was trapped. He's the man in the well. We've got him. Which will lead to David's death. And they crucified him. We've got him. We ended his life. But no, you're not sovereign. (laughs) Those of you who took his life, you, you are not sovereign. The sovereign God rose from the grave, and now you and I are here today to worship him. And he has saved you. He has redeemed you with his blood. He has paid the price for your sins through his death on the cross. No, you and I are not sovereign. Who will you serve? Whose side do you land on? Do you land on the kings that this world offers you? Or do you even land on your own kingship? I make myself king. Oh, moment by moment, we have this opportunity to say, oh, I make you king. You're a far better king. And even when I don't even see you're active, I can know you're active. You're working. Your word tells me you're working. So we're here this morning, saved by his grace because, well, sovereign grace. So Acts 2, Peter ends, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Translated, the one you crucified, well, he's bigger than death. He's sovereign over all of that. He ordained all of that because he's the king in Israel. And if you serve him this morning, he's your sovereign king as well. Let's stand and sing.